Today's uh, scripture reading and sermon comes from Philippians 3, um, 12 through 16, if we could turn there. And um, just this is an excerpt out of um, the beginning of three, which we'll briefly go, up, briefly go over during the sermon. But in 3, 12 through 16, it reads, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Um, for me, uh, this time of year, spring, is really the, is the time of new beginnings. This is the time when life really begins, not January 1st. I don't know why we've chose January 1st as the beginning of the new year, but personally, if I was running this country, it would be spring. Because this is when everything begins. This is a time when life begins again. After the dark days of winter, we are now in a time of new growth. It is this time of the year I consider what I have done and what I hope to achieve in the coming years. Most people set New Year's Eve resolution. I set spring uh, resolutions. So um, that's just me. So at this time of the year is when I really start to ponder what has occurred in the past year and what the years in, will hold in the future. I do not think I'm alone in this, because how many of us know that spring is the time for what? New beginnings in the form of weddings. New beginnings in the form of graduations. So, um, this is the time that you start considering new beginnings. It is, it is this time that students graduate and start a new page in their book of life. It was precisely sitting at my daughter's graduation a couple weeks ago and listening to the commencement speaker that I started to think about what my goal should be for this coming year. What should I be doing and for the years to follow? And what have I done with my life up to this point? Usually commencement speakers deliver a speech of hope, of going out there and making the life that you believe you want to live. Uh, very hoorah, go out there, seize the uh, world, make it your own. But this speaker gave a completely different commencement speech. Instead of talking about going out there and making life what you want it and living your best life now, he talked about living in the very moment right today and not counting your past mistakes. Evidently for him, his past mistakes was a string of bad fashion choices. Um, I will say I have lots of mistakes in my past, but fashion, but fashion mistakes was never one of my mistakes because I'm still dressing like I did in high school. I've never went out of style. I'm classic. But this, but this did make me think about what a Christian should focus on and what we should be doing. 
Do we live in the past, the present, or the future? Or some combination thereof? This, these thoughts led me to Philippians 3:12 through 16, which will be our text today. In this brief passage, Paul is instructing the Philippian Christians on their attitude of how they should live and what they should be focused on. To understand what Paul is speaking of in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, we need to look at back at chapter 3, verse 1 and 4. Paul uses very direct language to the Philippians about a group called the Judaizers. These Judaizers, Judaizers insisted that to be a real Christian, you needed to follow the Jewish practices, including circumcision. Paul calls these Judaizers dogs and mutilators of flesh. He had little love loss for those who added to the gospel. He then goes on to state his prior bona fides of Judaism. He was a Jew of Jews, and very few could attain the level of pure, perfect life lived under Jewish traditions. If anyone had a reason to be proud to brag about how he lived, it would have been Paul. Instead, Paul declares that all rubbish of his past exploits of no use. That all that mattered was living in the Spirit today. Not trying to obtain God's favor and salvation through our efforts of obeying the law on our own, but by faith in Christ. That Paul's righteousness is not based on what he has or has not done, but on his faith in Christ. He then makes this startling claim in verses 10 to 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that would be Christ, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This brings us to uh, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. In these passages, you will see several themes of forgetting the past and running forward to attain the prize. That prize that Paul is trying to attain that he, that he has not arrived at is fully knowing Christ. That is to fully know who Christ is. To be perfect in Christ is to fully know Christ and his resurrection, and that was Paul's goal. Peter O'Brien, a New Testament scholar who taught at Moore College, uh, Theological College in Australia, in his commentary on Philippians, stated, The implied object in our judgment is Paul's overwhelming goal or ambition expressed in several ways. Verses 8 through 11 as gaining Christ, being perfectly found in him and knowing him must be read in light of what was immediately preceded and in the verses it has been stated at length that the ultimate and complete gaining of Christ is the apostle's greatest desire. Again, Paul's greatest goal and desire, his goal that he set to spring of his life on the road to Damascus was to know Christ completely. The passages start with Paul stating in verse 12 that he has not attained the resurrection from the dead or perfection. This is in direct contrast to what the Judaizers were saying that if you do X, Y, and Z, you could achieve perfection. 
Again, if anybody could have attained perfection by what they have done, it would have been Paul. If anyone today tells you, or tomorrow, or the day after, that you can live a wholly obedient life now, that you can live perfectly for Christ today, they are lying to you. If Paul states that he has not attained perfection, why would any of us believe we contain perfection on this side of heaven? There might be several reasons why someone might say this. They might like puffing themselves up, making themselves feel superior to other Christians. They could be doing it to make you feel less of a Christian, to make you feel as if you're a failure. They most likely do not want to face their failures and sin and prefer to believe a false narrative that they are perfect so as not to have to face a holy living God that can only be reached through Christ and not our own efforts. Whatever the reason, it is a lie straight from the pit of hell to believe that in this life you can attain perfection. Then that brings us to a question. If we cannot reach perfection, should we just give up? This goes back, you know, um, do we hold our past mistakes against us? Do we just give up, lie down, and call it quits? I cannot be perfect in this life, so why should I pursue perfection? If I cannot do it, why try? How many of us have been there with other things? Paul answers that with a no, since Christ has seized us, we must press on and strive to make Christ our own. This is to know Christ more, to know him both with knowledge and experience. We are to continue to reach for Christ because he has made us his own. There is to be no quitting on this side of heaven. Paul states he does not believe he has made it, that he has not even attained perfection in this life, but he presses on. He tells us then how he presses on in verse 13, by forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Forgetting about what lies behind is a double-edged meaning. For some, that would be forgetting their past failures, some people use past failures as an excuse for why they should not continue to go forward. If we look at our lives, we can see there is something we have failed at. Or for me, numerous things. So instead of trying to understand why we failed and overcome, we just quit and say, I am no longer going to try doing that. An example of my life is my handwriting. Yes, for the young people here in the congregation, when I went to school, we were graded on our penmanship, and mine was atrocious. Right up there with my ability to spell, my handwriting was so bad that I couldn't read what I wrote the next day after writing it. I do, still, I do feel sorry for all the teachers, such as Miss Proctor, who had to suffer reading the assignments I turned in. Yes, back then, 90% of all assignments were handwritten and no computer-type papers. I knew it was bad, and just quit trying to improve. I mean, it was terrible. It wasn't going to get better. 
So I just quit. Waiting anxiously because I knew computers was right around the corner. Computers will be my savior and everything will be typed out by a printer. And it came true. I haven't had to do a handwritten thing at work, well, since the 90s. Um, it would be the uh, hand had gone the way of the dodo bird. I decided I needed to, but at some point in the uh, 2000s, I decided that my handwriting was still terrible. I was still not happy with my handwriting, but I definitely wasn't proud of my handwriting. That I decided, well, I needed to improve my handwriting, that there was no excuse to quit. That even at 40 years old, I could still learn how to write. So I bought a bunch of books on um, how to uh, proper penmanship, and I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced even more. It wasn't easy, but I had to forget the past and quit using that as an excuse for why I couldn't succeed now. Eventually, my handwriting did marginally improve, and I hope those who read the checks can see what I'm signing to the point where I could even read it several days later. I had to quit using my past failures as an excuse for why I shouldn't try to improve my handwriting. In the same manner, do not let your past failures at mortifying the flesh of some begetting sin that you continually struggle with make you give up. This does not mean we mortify the flesh through laws and regulations, doing our best in our own strength, but we mortify the flesh by prayer, by repentance, the study of God's word, and the strength of the Holy Spirit moving our desires away from living for the pleasures of the flesh. It means walking in Christ, not our strength and wisdom. The law cannot save. We are not commanded to give up and say, Well, God, I am a failure, so I am just going to sit here and stew in my sinful behavior. As Paul says, he forgets those past failures and continues to run forward. And remember, Paul, before the road to Damascus, favorite passion was killing Christians. Christ has called you, or as Paul says in these passages, he has seized you, not for you to stay where you are, but so you can run the race, to finish the race, to know Christ more fully. So you can know Christ better each day through the Spirit. Paul did not use the excuse of his past behavior of hunting down and killing Christians as a reason why he shouldn't pursue knowing Christ to attain the resurrection from the dead. The flip side of this coin of forgetting your past is the idea of resting on your past accomplishments. More than likely in the context of the preceding verses, preceding verses, this is Paul's predominant view. Paul now was an accomplished missionary. He was directly called by Christ on the road to Damascus to be an apostle. He implied in 2 Corinthians 12.2 that he was caught up to the third heaven and saw wondrous things. If any man had any reason to stop going forward and to rest on his past achievements, it was Paul. He, though, says all those things need to be forgotten. 
and that daily he must pursue the prize of knowing Christ more. Here is a man who had a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Christ. Yet, he states, those events need to be forgotten. You cannot rest on those things, but strive daily to know Christ more. How often do we grow sluggish in our Christian walk? I know this is true for me. Remembering the good old days. When we were on fire for Christ, you remember when you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior on how, fire, on how much on fire you were? You were walking on cloud nine. We know we are elected in Christ, our, our salvation secure. In some way, we believe we have already arrived at knowing Christ fully. Perhaps once or several times we have completely read the whole Bible or attended some great uh, Sunday school class, maybe even attended some formal Bible classes. And this, we are comfortable that there is not much more to gain in knowing Christ. Paul, though, is saying this is not true, but that daily you must awake and chase after Christ to know him better. What might this chasing after Christ look like? First, it means a constant need to be reading His Word in the Bible. It also means to be daily, habitually praying to God, not just about your material needs, but asking the Father to make Him, the Son, and the Holy Spirit known to you. That you will know the Trinity. This is a lifelong process, only fully realized once we go to be with God. We are asking the Father to reveal to us the sins in our lives that daily separate us from Him and asking for forgiveness and the desire will put them to death through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, sins are not killed by our efforts of good living, of following rules and regulations, but only through walking with the Spirit by being in the presence of God, and there to be, we need to daily repent of our sins. Back when I was first in the Air Force, um, I was very angry at God before going into basic training, but in basic training, I prayed to God, God, if you can get me through basic training, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he got me through basic training, and then you go off to what's called technical school. And um, while in basic training, though, I was trying to live the Christian life, and Every morning I would wake up with a set of rules like I'm not supposed to cuss, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do that. And I had all these rules that I knew how a Christian was supposed to live. And by the end of the day, as I was laying on my bunk going to bed, I realized I broke every rule. And then as I went to tech school, I was still living by this list of rules and regulations that I knew how Christians were supposed to live. And every day as I went to bed, I I was breaking them. But sometime during technical school, I fell into a group of other believers. And we'd hang out after class every day, talk about Christ, read the Word, go to church together, worship. We spent all of our time together, our free time, praising and worshiping God. Sometime during this experience, I forgot about that rules and regulations. But as I looked back during that time, I realized I wasn't breaking as many rules and regulations as I was when I was trying to keep the law. 
by, by being in fellowship with other believers, by worshiping with other believers, by praying and being in God's Word daily, those things came naturally not to do them. And that's what I'm trying to stress here. You cannot, by waking up every morning, saying, these are the things I cannot do, but I end the day, you will do them. This is what Paul says in Romans 6-8. through 8. You have to live by the Spirit. That means being in daily prayer. That means being in daily worship. That means being in daily reading God's Word and in fellowship with other believers. I know most of us, we only see each other on Sundays. We should make more of an effort to see each other during the week. Maybe we should all move to Burning Springs. I don't know. <laughs> so... Um, Brothers and sisters, sins are not killed by our efforts of good living or of following rules and regulations, but only through walking by the Spirit, by being in the presence of God. And to be there, you need to daily repent of our sins and acknowledge our weaknesses and ask the Father for deliverance, wisdom, and strength. Chasing after Christ is to be in a daily sense of worship to the triune God, but also make it a priority not to forsake the assembly and to worship Him corporately. To attend Sunday school, Wednesday night Bible study, to learn about Christ and to acknowledge and repent if we believe we already know too much. Or if we already know everything we, we believe we know everything we can know. Finally, the last means of grace is to partake in the sacraments continually. For most of us, that would be to partake in the Lord's Supper. But also witnessing and rejoicing when children of the covenant are baptized or adults on the or adults are baptized by profession of faith. These means of grace, God's word and its study, prayer and the sacraments are how we pursue Christ. We need to do it daily, brothers and sisters, like Paul. We have not reached perfection. We have not attained the prize and must continually chase after Christ. Let me caution you, though, brothers and sisters, what forgetting the past doesn't mean. It does not mean that we do not forget who we once were. It does not mean of forgetting how Christ delivered us from who we once were. It is remembering how we once were aliens, living apart from Christ and living for our own passions and desires. But now Christ has redeemed us and the Holy Spirit indwells us, that we might live to glorify God. We are not to forget how the Father loved us, and sent his son to die for us. It is not to forget how the Father has been with us, showing us mercy and grace when we rightly deserved his wrath. As God commanded the Israelites not to forget how he saved them from Egypt, we are not to forget how the Father has worked in our lives. For us to claim to be mature, this needs to be our mind of forgetting the past and, and, and pushing forward. This is how the mature think. We realize how far we are from being holy, perfect. We realize the more we learn about Christ, the less we actually know about Christ. If you think you know everything and are perfect, then Paul states that God will reveal to you your imperfections. This is not a threat of punishment, but mercy. 
It is for the, your benefit that God reveals to us our imperfections. The fact we have not arrived yet, it is better to know the truth about us than to believe a lie. It is better to see that we have not arrived yet and pursue Christ than to believe we have made it and missed the blessed life of following Christ. As we end today, let each of us resolve our personal goal for the coming year. And years to come is to know Christ more fully. That each day we might remember how little we do know and how much more we need to know. Let each of us recognize that we are not perfect in our knowledge of the triune God or in our daily living. And let us each extend grace and mercy to our brothers and sisters who also are not perfect. Brothers and sisters, let us not just make head knowledge about Christ our goal, though, but knowing Christ will transform the way we live. That God will be glorified by how we live out our lives and our families and communities. That people will know you have been with and are with the living God. We need to forget our past failures and past accomplishments realizing that neither influences our goal today of seizing the prize of knowing Christ and his resurrection. That we will avail ourselves of the means of grace of knowing him, of reading and studying God's word individually and corporately. That we will be excited to worship God privately and corporately. That we would stay in constant commune with God through prayer, acknowledging and repenting of our known sins asking God to reveal to us our unknown sins that we might repent and asking him daily to guide and strengthen us that we might glorify him and to walk in his presence. We are to ask God each day to help us better to know who he is and how to worship him.